Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. What's going on, guys? Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Ready Eddy membership program. To this point, we've grown to have thousands of products from up-and-coming startups and small businesses in the outdoor travel and lifestyle space on the platform. You can save up to 50% off all of these products, anything from skis to jackets to food bars to supplements. Anything you could think of to support your outdoor activities is on the platform from small up-and-coming brands. It's a great opportunity to support small businesses while also discovering brands that you've never heard of. You can show off the new gear to your friends and also save a ton while doing it. If you're interested in checking it out, head over to readyeddy.com slash members to get your first month free. What is going on, Ready Eddy Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with the founder of Ice Mule, James Colley. James, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thanks for having me, Josh. Appreciate it. Definitely. All right, Ice Mule. For the listener that may not have uh, heard of your brand before, how would you best describe it to them? We are a company that makes adventure coolers. Um, If you have some idea of what a dry bag is, if you've ever been a paddler or been an environment where those are used, uh, the core concept behind an ice mule is an insulated dry bag um, with a roll-top closure, which gives you a wide-open access and uh, very easy to kind of manage, and then uh, with backpack straps. And so we've taken that core concept and we've um, kind of, you know, used it to develop a series of um, different lines of coolers. Um, but the main kind of critical thing to remember about Ice Mule is it can go anywhere other coolers, other dream, um, only really ever dream of. Um, you could take this cooler on a mountain hike, on a paddleboard uh, trip, uh, on a surf trip. It'll roll up to fit into your luggage. Um, and it is just as efficient from an ice keeping perspective as a uh, traditional hard cooler. So. Um, you can finally take cold beverages with you or cold food with you anywhere you want to go. That's really interesting. Okay, so tell me a little bit about your background. How did you come up with this idea for Ice Meal? So my my wife and I were, uh, before we got married, actually, we were um, on a hike in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. Uh, and I, it was like, I think it may have been our first date. It was our first kind of like afternoon together. And we, I wanted to take along um, some bottles of water and some sandwiches, some snacks, so we could have a little picnic. And it was about 80 degrees, and I couldn't find a cooler that wouldn't leak all over me um, uh, that I could carry on my back. And so I did what everybody kind of does. I got a couple of trash bags, filled them with ice, put the sandwiches and everything in there. Um, of course, that melted. The bags broke. The water went cascading down my back. The food was wet. I looked like a schmuck. Um, somehow she went out with me again, and we're now married. But um, it really was frustrating because I was like, this is ridiculous. There should be this product. Why isn't this product available? So, you know, I immediately went to, um, I think, Sears and bought a sewing machine and bought some um, waterproof fabric at a, at a local uh, uh, fabric dealer. And I went home and I realized if I punctured the fabric, it wouldn't be waterproof. And I didn't know how to sew. So I took the machine back, and I, but I wouldn't stop thinking about it. And I was out paddling on the James River um, kayaking a couple of weeks later and using a dry bag. And I just had this thought, you know, man, if I could insulate this dry bag, it would make a great cooler. 
And so that's kind of where it all came from. Growing up, did you always know that you wanted to maybe start a business at some point? Or was this sort of just uh, by realizing you needed this product, you're like, you know what, I'm just going to do this? Yeah, I kind of had the gene. I think I this is my midlife crisis career. I was in banking and consulting for years before this. So um, I had started with some other guys, a, a software company in, in Connecticut years before. Um, not too many years before. Um, it was um, kind of a long story there. But so I'd kind of been I'd done that before. Um, and I always in my roles and in, in business up to this point, um, like to build things, build organizations, build new products. I've done a lot of product development, I've done a lot of marketing in my previous career. And so, you know, when um, I was at the time, we were living in Charlotte, North Carolina, I was running um, marketing for a division of a large bank. Um, we sold that division. I took a package towards an exit and, uh, we were going to go take another job. My wife and I were thinking about it. And finally she looked at, looked at me, we had a little house down in Florida and she said, why don't we just go down there and you can start the cooler company. And I was like, okay. Um, so I kind of knew I wanted to do it at some point in my life. The, the opportunity just kind of showed up. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to think about than it is to do. So I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Starting a, a you know, a company with a bunch of other people when you've got funding is one thing. Doing it by yourself when you don't is a completely different prospect. But I kind of knew I was going to do something like this at some point. That's very true. An idea is only worth so much. The action on it is really the important part. Right. Um, okay, so you move down to Florida. You start prototyping, I assume. Well, how long was that prototyping process until you got to the point where you were like, all right, this is functional. I want to launch this. I want to start trying to get customers uh, and really build this uh, brand. Yeah, start to finish on the kind of getting the product developed was about a year and a half. Um, I had made, honestly, through like cutting things and, and taping things and, and welding things together, um, a prototype or two that, so I knew the concept worked. I knew that it functionally worked and it was actually really good insulating, um, had great insulation properties. Um, I, I, I ended up the, the manufacturer that we currently use is our third manufacturer. I didn't go to market with any others, but I worked through them over that year and a half. Um, there's just a lot of, um, it, it, it took a surprising amount of time to get it right and to get it at the price that I wanted. It's easy enough to, to, do anything if you don't care what it costs. Um, but I had a very specific price point I wanted to hit from a consumer standpoint. And so engineering to that price point and having using materials that were non-toxic, using, you know, things that wouldn't make people sick, um, kind of using materials that were, were recyclable and, and, and welding it all together so that there's no sewing anywhere. And all these little components um, were part of the vision of the company. And we really, I just really wanted it to be what I wanted it to be. So it took, it took a solid year and a half. Um, and we also developed three different lines to three different sizes altogether. So I kind of went from one SKU to nine before we launched um, the, the product out on Kickstarter. How did you go about picking the manufacturer? Like, obviously, you went through three until you got to the point, the one that you really liked. But did you go off of reference? Were you just like looking at past work that they did? Did you ask them to create your prototype? And you're like, okay, Maybe this is a viable um, manufacturer to work with. Yeah, it's, I mean, so I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, the interesting thing about doing this is you don't, or at least in my case, I had no idea how to do anything that I was doing. 
Um, my previous life had been in financial services. So when I started doing this and I had to worry about supply chain, you know, I was, I mean, I had no idea. Right. So, um, I actually went to the Thomas directory of American manufacturers, which is a, a great resource if you're trying to make something in the U S and I, and I kind of started calling every bag manufacturer in the directory. And I literally called uh, several dozen, I think it was up to 60 before I finally got someone who was willing to kind of give it a shot. It was a Chicago company. Um, and they made some force and they basically called me and said, I'm, I'm never going to make this again. It's too hard to do. It, <laughs> it takes too much time and it's not, you know, and they weren't very good. And so then I had a friend who had a company called new England overshoot company. Um, and he was very involved with manufacturers overseas who welded, um, polymers together by polymers together, which is what we, how we make the cooler. So he introduced me to a Korean manufacturer. Um, not Korean, sorry, uh, Taiwanese manufacturer. I worked with them for a while on some prototypes and the quality just wasn't there. Um, and so I was kind of wringing my hands. I didn't know what to do. And I, interestingly, through LinkedIn, um, I was referred to um, a guy who was a sales manager at an outdoor company who was really a great mentor to me, taught me a ton. And he knew a designer that would help me kind of take all of my drawings and put them into CAD and make them into something that someone could actually manufacture. That guy then introduced me to um, what he told me was the best factory in China. Um, I went and met those guys. They were spectacular. They love small brands. They work with large, large companies, but they like small brands. And they were really, they, um, they were spectacular. And they, we dug in. I mean, they actually worked with me for most of that year and a half after I kind of got, gotten to that point. Um, and I'm still with them today. I'm heading, I was just over there. I'm heading back over in February. What about them really blew you away when you when you first met with them? So a couple of things. I mean, the first thing is the um, so family owned business. The, the 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 man who runs it now is the son of the founder. Um, they're super good people. They're just like good people. Um, when you go to their facility, you know, in in China, they they're almost all the factories have dormitories because people travel all over the country to go work at a factory and they send money home. Then at Chinese New Year, they go home and they blow it out for a month. Um, but the facilities that this factory has are nicer than a lot of apartments I've lived in. Um, and the people were all like the people working there were like really happy and chill and the products that they make and the brands that they work for are exceptional. Um, and I kind of read through all of their, you know, they get audited by every, everybody in China that's worth anything gets audited for human rights violations and, you know, environmental, um, uh, audits, et cetera. And, you know, they, they've got all this stuff on the wall, probably displaying all those things. But I really just got to know the family and went over to their house, had dinner, um, spent time in the factory, um, looked at all the products that they did. They QC every single unit. Um, they're just and they only work with brands. So they don't work. They won't. They don't like take my designs and then go try to sell them on the open market, which is hugely important. Um, and they have that agreement with all of their clients. So it's a big deal. Well, that's really interesting. Now, in, in picking this uh, manufacturer, how did you, because obviously being an outdoor brand, sustainability is a pretty integral part. How did you make sure, or do your d- due diligence, so to speak, that the product was being made in the most environmentally sustainable way? Yeah, so I mean, it's 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 hard to do that because particularly for my product, I mean, we are working with... Um, we are working with uh, petroleum-based materials. And so you kind of got to, you know, 
it's not like I'm, you know, making this stuff out of recycled, um, you know, paper. So a few things we do, um, and we like even small things, like we only ship and recycle cardboard. We only make, you know, everything that we make is recyclable. As far as the, um, as far as kind of any environmental impact of the actual manufacturing process, there is none. It's all electric. Um, all of the machines are run by electricity. Um, and so we, we weld everything together by bombard, you bombard a bipolymer in this case, uh, uh, non-toxic, um, PVC and, and, uh, TPU and other materials, nylons with, um, radio waves and basically rebinds the, the material at the, at the molecular level. So the seam is actually stronger, the weld stronger than the fabric if it's done correctly. But the actual process doesn't create any, there's, there's no environmental negative environmental impact for the process. Um, I think the next step for us is figuring out how we can actually make the the products out of recycled materials. And we've been investigating it, but um, you you quickly get to a price point that basically would just torpedo the company because nobody buy the product. So we're trying to find if there are ways that we can start using components that are. And it's you know you, you just have to kind of commit to looking constantly. No, definitely. I, I see exactly what you mean. Uh, you know, especially when you're starting out, it's sort of an incremental thing that you do over time that you. Um, create with the identity of the of the company, but then obviously, as you grow and you learn, you can incorporate more pieces to it that are um, environmentally sustainable. Um, so, I want to talk a little bit about the growth. So, you started working on the idea and prototyping it in 2012. You eventually launched it. Uh, you had a Kickstarter in 2013, and then the official launch was 2014. What's been the growth been like since um, the inception? Yeah, I mean, if if you look at kind of the average annual growth, it's um it's in the high 80s, almost double annually, um, which is easy at the beginning. It's getting a little harder now that we're four or five years in, but um, this year we're definitely going to, um, I think, probably exceed that. Um, and next year, um, from everything we're able to, and I think, able to see right now, it's not going to be. I think we'll probably exceed it again. So I think that's a growing metric. Um, uh, you know, definitely, it's interesting. I mean, I I do think um, you can definitely grow faster than that. That's a pretty fast growth rate, but you can definitely grow faster than that. But I I, I uh, kind of don't want to for a couple of reasons. One is it would involve probably taking a lot of outside capital, which I don't, I'm not interested in doing. Um, and then secondly, I think you can quickly kind of get over your, you know, kind of over your skis on on things if you don't grow organically. And I think having people discover the product and kind of um, share it with their friends and, and, and use it and love it and, and then share that, um, that story, that organic growth is solid, real growth. It's not just driven by a bunch of ads. Um, and that's kind of what we're interested in. Interesting. Okay. So what, what have you been doing over over the last few years that you would attribute a lot of the that organic growth to? Is it just making a quality product, or are there specific marketing initiatives that you've done that have really helped you get that exposure? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, ideally, you know, you would make this wonderful product in the world would be a path to your door, and that doesn't happen. Um, I, I mean, we're still learning. You know, I mean, to be completely candid, I mean, we're we're still learning how to do that. Um, I think honestly, for if, if you're a company today, you've got so many advantages than you would you know, over companies you know years ago. Social media is definitely probably one of the, the most important components of what we do. Um, 
we do have, um, and I think, you know, we, we have a, we have a kind of a rabid fan customer base. I mean, the thing, people love the product and they write about the product and they review it really well everywhere. And, and so we always, you know, and we've gotten to people pretty well that are fans and we always tell people to send pictures and they do, and then they put them on social and, um, and that helps a lot. Um, there's a few other things we do. I mean, in the retail environment, um, for a long time, and it's just recently been the case that this isn't true. I used to know all of our dealers personally. Um, and I still know most of them personally, and that's, you know, that's several hundred, you know, uh, you know, dealers. So, um, we work really hard to be the brand that is easy to work with. Um, and that's not always easy to do, but we work very, very hard at like not being a pain in the butt. Um, and there are a lot of companies out there in this space and other spaces that, that kind of get a little big for their britches and, and are and gain a reputation. We, we're working very, very hard to have the opposite reputation. And then finally, you know, I mean, as far as the product goes, whenever there's an issue of any kind, we jump on it and we've never not replaced a cooler if there's been an issue, even if we are certain that it's not like the manufacturing issue. Um, we we just worked really hard to like be a company with a ton of integrity. Um, and I think people care about that. I mean, I really think it shows up and the way people respond to us and, and how much they share us with their friends. But from a pure marketing perspective, definitely social is huge. Um, you know, you know, you have to kind of spend a little bit of money and, and uh, other online media to, to kind of get the word out there, to get the name out there. Uh, we're starting to do more and more events as the, as the team grows. We can kind of fund it from a staff standpoint. Um, you know, and I, and I think, you know, I think that it's going to be a long time before you start seeing ice meal television ads. I just don't think that's a smart spend at this stage. Um, but there's a lot, if you spend the time to get smart about the way you're using the internet and the way you're using events and the way you're kind of promoting yourself, uh, and other avenues, you can, you can get the word out. That's kind of what we've been doing. What's been the hardest part about starting and building ice meal up to this point? Um, the hardest part, uh, well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think the hardest part, honestly, is, and this is a really mundane, it's like a boring answer, but probably forecasting and, and supply chain management, quite honestly. Um, you know, I do all the forecasting. I have a, I have a pretty good background for that. I've been, you know, been in, in business for, for quite a while, but it's still, at the end of the day, it's throwing spaghetti against the wall. You know, you just kind of hope that the numbers that you're putting in are, are legit. And we've had a few cases where we've grown faster than I anticipated in particular points, and we've we've ended up stocking out of stuff, and that drives me crazy. Because first of all, you're disappointing people. Secondly, you're missing sales. Um, that's been really hard to do. I think uh, do that you know really well. Um, and it's true. Of, I mean, I know a lot of people that own companies like this, and and I think everybody kind of universally agrees that that's a horrible part of the business. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, you know just kind of you know d continuing to learn and continuing to do everything you can to, to to get the brand out there as much as possible i think our number one challenge right now is still brand awareness and that that's difficult to do on a limited budget with a lot of competition but we're trying to find more uh, and more and better ways to do that all the time so i think kind of growing brand awareness and kind of dealing with supply chain are the two hardest pieces of the business for me
How, how do you manage um, the competition, so to speak, you know, from other competitors like Yeti and any of the others out there? How do you really differentiate yourselves and really continue that growth? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, um, our product alone is very different. So when we first started, there was nothing like us in the marketplace at all. There were just really weren't any premium soft coolers available. There's a lot of other soft coolers. They weren't premium products. Um, and right after we started, a few months after we started, Yeti came out with the Hopper, which I think really in many ways helped us because it opened up the market a bit. Um, what's happened more recently is a lot of competitors have decided that they wanted to get into the space. And so over the last 12 months, even, even over the last six months, seven months, um, there's been a lot of new product introductions by a lot of competitors and by a lot of companies that have not been in the core business. Um, and so, you know, there's a couple of ways to react to that. You know, one is to kind of get worried about it and let it consume you or whatever, let it kind of occupy your thinking. And the other is I kind of just, I mean, for us, we just keep trying to innovate and do what we do. Um, and what I'm finding is, um, you can't just have a huge company with a lot of resources and introduce a product and all of a sudden take over the market. People aren't responding to that. Um, we've, we're, content, we're growing faster now than we did before the competition came into the market. Um, I think that's partially because I think more people are kind of aware of the category, but I also think that people are just responding to what we're doing. I mean, we're, you know, I mean, we've been grinding it out for four years pretty hard. As I tell everybody, we're kind of a blue collar product company. We just, you know, we just show up and work hard every day. Um, and we work really hard on making the best part for, for everybody. And, you know, honestly, I mean, I still do all the design work. Um, and it's sometimes kind of interesting to me that, that, that a small company with limited resources can, um, honestly make better products at a better price, more fair price and kind of have more loyal fans. It's just, I try not to worry too much about the other guys. It's definitely a smart way to operate. What, what would you say is your greatest fear and how do you manage it in regards to Ice Mule? Um, <laughs> I don't, you know, my greatest fear. Uh, I don't know. I don't really think about that. Um, you know, I mean, I suppose if I got hit by a truck, it would be a mess for somebody to clean up, you know, as far as the company goes, that would be a bad thing. Um, I, you know, I don't really, I honestly don't think, I'm not trying to give you a, Try to answer. I just don't, don't get too worried about. I don't. I'm not. I mean, I worry about like day to day things. Like, oh, you know, did 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 we handle this situation appropriately, or are we going to get the product in time, or you know, it's this new, you know, clip working right. You know, I worry about those things, all those things. Um, but I don't sit around being fearful about anything. Well, that's good. But, you know, as as an entrepreneur, you kind of have to be that way. You know. Yeah. You can't you can't let certain things bog you down too much, or let fear sort of direct the decisions that you make. Because at the end of the day, it's going to just you're going to make a bad decision. <laughs> oh you're, yeah, if you're operating that way. Totally. I mean, I tell everyone, look, I've I've made every 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 bad decision that's been available to me. I've made it every single one of them. Um, I just try to not do it again. You know. Um, I mean, I've learned. I honestly, I've, everything I've learned about kind of this business and and growing this company has been based on messing things up the first go out. That's what learning is, right? <laughs> totally, yeah. All right, now talking about mistakes, what would you say have been some of the bigger mistakes that you've made with Ice Mule? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, initially, I mean, the, the first big mistake was I, I was going to go to market with one product and one kind of size, you know. I was going to say, here's my one product, everybody come by, you know. And th- this this fellow that we've gotten to know, that I've gotten to know pretty well, was like, um, well, you're going to last about five minutes if you do it that way. You really need to understand um, that retailers uh, are going to need a line. Um, and so that was the first thing, this kind of awakening that I didn't just invent a product, but I had to invent a, a, a line and in some ways a category. Um, so that was, you know, that was the first, that would have been a whopper. And I got held, I, I got somebody stopped me with that one. I think, um, you know, one of the other biggest early mistakes was we went into Amazon as a direct seller, which I don't do now. Um, and I, uh, I, I literally was putting the products into the Amazon system in the middle of the night. I mean, literally like 3 a.m. in the morning um, after having worked all day. And I, you know, you don't sleep a whole lot, you know, particularly at the beginning. And I put in pricing from an old pricing sheet. And so I woke up like a few weeks later, realized that I had underpriced every single one of my SKUs on Amazon. And um, so I sent them a note and I said, hey, look, I'm going to be changing these prices. And so just heads up. And I went into the system and wouldn't let me change any prices. And then they sent me a note back. And they're like, well, we're going to need 90 days to review that decision. Oh, God. <laughs> right. <laughs> so and this was like my primary selling like tool at that point. I was like, holy crap. So I, I, there's no choice, right? So you wait the 90 days. Then I went in to change again. They're like, no, we need you to fill out this information. I was like, look, I, here's the information you need to know. I own the company. This is my pricing. Get, change it. And so at that point, I basically fired Amazon as a direct seller. I hired people, you know, our other dealers want to sell on Amazon. I quit selling anything to Amazon, still do not, and probably never will again. And, you know, it's a different platform, um, you know, in many ways for consumers and it is for brands. And, and I'm, not, I'm not slamming Amazon necessarily. It's just it's, it, was a, it was a difficult lesson. But um, I was like, holy goodness, you know, now I've got all these dealers who are wondering why the product's less on Amazon and I'm selling it to I mean. I spent the first probably six months we were in the retail environment just apologizing to people. Man, that sounds like a headache. <laughs> it was horrible. It was terrible. Yeah, like it's it's interesting. One little 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 mistake like that, and you're just like you're kicking yourself for yeah. months. Yeah, I was like, I was one Red Bull away from doing it right, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or or thirty minutes more of sleep that one night right. before. Exactly. Man, that's crazy. What advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business, whether it was in the outdoor space, a product-based business, or really just a business in general? Um, just kind of, you got to be up for it. Like, you really have to want it. Um, I know a lot of, and I mean, everybody, you know. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people that come to me at shows, and they're saying, oh, you you, you, you made my, uh, that, I had that idea. I wanted to do that with the dry bag, and, you know, and I'm like, well, you know too late and I have to, <laughs> no, sorry, sorry, but it's, you know, everybody's got an idea and, and a lot of people have really good ideas. You don't really have any, and I have look, and it's not like I hadn't worked hard in, in my entire life. I, you know, was a management consultant, used to work eight hour weeks, you know, just crazy hours in my previous life, but you don't really have any idea like how many millions of little decisions you're going to have to make, how many different aspects of business you're going to have to address every single day of your life. Like it, and, and one, sometimes, you know, one big mistake can kill the whole thing. Um, it just, you have to really be up for it. You know, you really, and you almost don't want to know too much when you get started. Like I, it's probably better not to know much. 
Because if, if someone had told me, had described for me accurately, like what the next four years was going to be like four years ago, I would have just gone and gotten a job somewhere. <laughs> I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs would make that same decision. You know, I mean, like, are you kidding? And there's no way I'm signing up for that. But then once you're into it, you can't get out because, you know, then it, you know, you can't quit your own, you know, your own business. So it's not that you want to, but it's insane. Yeah, you've got to be up for it. Where do you see Ice Mule in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Um, you know, I do. I, I mean, I definitely think 10 years is really hard to forecast. Um, five, I have an idea of what I think the brand should look like in five years, but it's probably wrong. Um, I'm much more comfortable in the kind of 12 to 24 month horizon. Um, I have a really good idea of what it's going to look like next year. Um, We've been we've been making a really concerted effort to start to really only deal with in the retail environment retailers who really get it, um, who really not only kind of get our product and it's not an easy product to retail at least the classics and the pros because you have to set them up properly in the retail environment and that can be difficult but who also just kind of get retail who get the fact that retail now has to provide an environment and experience that people can't get online and so for that reason you know we're we're not overly committed to dealing with big stores. We just don't, it just doesn't work for us. Um, and quite honestly, you don't have to anymore to have a really successful large business. Um, that may change one day, you know, it, it may, I, I made those words in, in, in a year. Um, but we've been really working hard only to work with companies that really want to work with us, that really understand how the consumer works and that really want to do the right thing. And so that gives us a lot of freedom to say no. And also kind of, but, but the consequence of that is um, we've been devoting a lot of energy to kind of growing our online business, our online presence, really understanding that that ecosystem and how to best, best serve people there, because that's kind of unlimited potential. Um, and then, you know, we've been growing our kind of, um, we, we've been getting kind of a lot of business from um, kind of the promotional world, which is a really nice indication of growth where people call promotional products companies and they're like, hey, I have this client that just called me. They want a thousand ice mules. I don't even know what you were, but you have the stock, you know? So that's, that's an interesting piece of the business. And then, and then something that we haven't talked about a great deal, but we're able to start talking about a little bit right now. And I can't give you too many details is um, for the last two years, I've been working with um, um, some special forces units from the military and, and designing some special systems with them based on ice mule and I think we're about ready to start talking about that public so that publicly. So that's going to be a really interesting piece of the business as well. And it's all designed. And it, honestly, it's really cool because it's uh, it's uh, all of the stuff that we've been doing is designed around saving lives. And so um, and that sounds really you know, it sounds really kind of silly for a cooler company, but you'd be surprised, um, you know, if you can get. Uh, hydration to people who've been in the field for five days and there's no other way to get it to them, but to drop it out of an airplane. Um, you can save a lot of lives. And so we've been working on that. That's going to be a big, I think a big piece of the business going forward. And so we're really just kind of, we've been, we've honestly, at the beginning, we worked with everybody. We worked with all huge companies and small companies. And, and and now we're really kind of understanding where to pick our spots and where we should be working and and the types of companies that we want to work with and, and the things that we want to do with, uh, with the product set. And that's, and, and I can see that very clearly over the next 12, 24 months. Um, as well as kind of product development, kind of where like where we want to take the the line. Um, kind of beyond that, it's hard to say. That's really interesting. It sounds like you've got a lot of really cool projects that you're working on in the future. Um, 
I'm definitely excited to see where all of these go. What's your favorite part about running Ice Mule? Um, you know, I mean, it's it, when I was when I was a kid, um, I spent an awful lot of time outdoors, and I spent an awful lot of time uh, doing creative things. So I was, I you know. I drew a lot, painted a lot. I wanted to be a commercial artist, and, and that didn't seem like it was going to be a viable option. Um, and so, but I spent an awful lot of time kind of just being outside. I just love being outside and doing out, outdoor sports and everything. And so, for me, this is an opportunity to kind of take the two things, like my old, like I get to scratch all my creative itches by designing these products and, and, and I mean, at the very beginning, I mean, you know, I built the, the website and everything because there was nobody else to do it. You know, all of the, you know, all the graphics, everything I was doing now, I, a lot of those things much better served having other people do them, but I get an opportunity to really kind of exercise that part of my brain. And then honestly, I get to be an environment, you know, the outdoor industry is like, I didn't even, know, I didn't even know what it was until I started this company. And it's just the coolest set of people. So getting to kind of hang out with and be in an environment with people who are basically my tribe and then also kind of getting to kind of make up stuff that people love and they buy and that they love it as much as I do. I mean, that's pretty freaking cool. I couldn't agree with you more. Being in the outdoor industry is definitely one of the best things ever. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right? It's just fun to be outside and doing um, whether it's skiing, hiking, kayaking, whatever it is outside. It's it's just such an awesome experience, and uh, and like you said, I'm so happy for it to be such a big part of my life and my business. Um, now, with hearing your your story and everything that's going on with Ice Mule, um, for anyone listening that wants to keep tabs on future products, future projects that you guys are working on, what, where's the best place for them to do that? I would say um, IceMuleCooler.com or even just IceMule.com. Um, we've got some announcements coming up. Um, uh, pretty soon next couple of months and also always our Instagram and our Facebook pages. Um, you know, definitely keep an eye there. Um, we also, you know, we get, we luckily get a lot of press that so there, there'll be news stories written and different blogs and different print and, uh, et cetera. But, you know, just follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook. You'll, you'll be the first people to hear about it. And okay. if you go to our website and you sign up for our email list, you're going to, you're going to know about it before anybody else. So. Definitely. And we'll get all that linked up in the show notes. And anyone listening to this between October 23rd and November 20th, you can actually enter uh, to win some some gear from Ice Mule along with a ton uh, of other brands. So just head over to ReadyEddy.com for your chance to win. And with that, James, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your story and Ice Mule's story and everything that you guys have going on uh, in the works. It really was uh, a fun. Josh, I really appreciate it, man. Great talking with you today. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready 80 Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.